Hello everyone and welcome to The Art of Flourishing. My name is Lauren De Silva and I'm your host and today I'm joined in the studio by my friend Ruth. Dr. Ruth Sierra is a daughter, wife and mother to three handsome little boys and an engineer by profession. She has an established engineering career along with teaching positions at two different universities in the past. She's passionate about the word of God and has chosen to follow the path that she's currently called to in obedience to what she feels like is her calling. Her passion has driven her to start a nonprofit organization named Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, along with a couple of other small businesses locally where her and her husband are dedicated to hire people who have from incarcerated and homeless backgrounds only. Their mission is to proclaim the love of Christ to these people who need it most, to break generational curses through prayer, introduce people to the resurrection story where all hope lies. They are dedicated to creating lifelong, passionate, mission-driven leaders and true laborers for Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today, Thank Ruth. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, Ruth is also one of the contributing authors to the On Earth As It Is in Heaven book, where her contribution basically unpacks her and her husband's vision for our local community, um, and in particular, homeless and um, formerly incarcerated people, um, and creating an environment through employment where they can experience true belonging and healing. And so, Ruth, I was wondering um, if you could share just a little bit with us about how you got to where you are in this moment um, versus where your life kind of started. So what is your background story? Um, to everyone listening, especially to our American audience, you will notice that there are two accents sitting around <laughs> the table today <laughs> where people are always like, where do you come from? Where does that accent from? Okay, so um, you guessed it. Ruth is not, um, like she's not from the United States. And so I feel like it would be wonderful for you to just share um, some of your backstory. H- how did you end up here? Um, not just not or not here in the U.S. I don't like that question that much. But um, to how did you end up from teaching, engineering, to creating small businesses that employ formerly incarcerated people? Sure. Um, so let's start from my story from India. So I'm originally from India, South India. I was born, raised there. Um, I come from a Christian family, and I say that quote unquote five generations of um, people that actually poured into peoples through Christian-based families and uh, tried to help people from uh, uh, what we call in India who were put into forest, and these are called Naxals kind of people. And so my dad's mission was to preach to those people, and it's not an easy job to do, but that was his passion. Um, so I think um, when I was in India, growing up, watching my grandparents, my parents have such strong passion to teach God's word, uh, kind of somewhere was hidden within me. Um, but growing up, my childhood was very normal, like go to school, have pigtails, go to school, uh, come back, do your homework, run around the neighborhood, wash up, eat and go to sleep. That was my childhood. Uh, growing up, my parents taught us two things. One was God, 
and one was education. Coming from an uh, Asian background, you have to be an Asian. You cannot be a Asian, you know. Like all your grades have to be A, 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 and A. <laughs> Anything less than that was not accepted, was frowned upon. And so it was almost like not only your family pressure, but your social pressure. Um, everyone was like, huh, you got a B. How is that even possible? Like it's not her, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so we were raised in very simple, strict, um, very uh, controlled lifestyle. Controlled not in the way... I mean that bad, but controlled in a good way. Like discipline. Like discipline Mm -hmm. and safety, like, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Now, my parents um, were, my dad is a visioneer. He's very passionate about a lot of things. Like, he's a very passion-filled person. Um, The day, the uh, the reason why I am here today uh, and the way I have my life tracked out for the rest of the entire period is the passion that my dad put in us it's very strong because the the way we see our dad is he's almost my hero he's my hero uh he used to work very hard he had a very very strong passion about god so those are the two things that i picked up growing up um so growing up we were with that simple lifestyle we were always taught god comes first and then your education and then Fast forward age 20, uh, we were sent out, out of from the house, okay? You got to go to your master's, you got to do whatever, whatever. And mind you, all this time, I had no interest of, you know, pursuing something or on fire. Oh, I want that career or I want to do this or I want to do that. Nothing was there. I was like, okay, let's enjoy life. Daddy is paying for everything. I'm going to have a blast. <laughs> and then in 20, uh, oh, 2006, I went to Nat Kingdom to get my master's. I had the best life, uh, best time of my life there. Um, and uh, I lived my life. I wore the clothes I wanted. Daddy paid for everything, of course. Um, I, I really enjoyed the time of my life during that phase. And that was also the phase of my life where I completely forgot about God. Like there was no God in the four years I stayed there. And, but I always felt that safety net around me. Like I never prayed. I never went to church. There's no concept of church, literally speaking in UK, but it's, um, it's really like a forgotten thing in my life at that time. And I always felt that there was always a person standing right behind my shoulder to watch me, to guard me. And this I realized after going back to India. So that's 2009. I went back to India. And I was reflecting on some of the things that I should have never done and possibly not alive. And... I'm still alive and back in my house in safe hands. And I was like, what could be the reason that someone was somewhere had a strong intention of protecting me and why, right? So that was my big question. And I worked in India for two years as an engineer. And I went back to, I went to U.S. in 2012 came to U.S. in 2012 to do my Ph.D. 
And then back then, everybody told me, oh, um, you just need to get your foot in the door to get into the United States. What you do after that really doesn't matter. Just get married. Just get married. Just find a guy who who um, is working and then will file your visa and, and you know, mm-hmm. it'll be good. You will be all, you can handle everything. Your husband will have handle everything. That didn't sound right to me. I mean, there were many things that didn't sound right to me, but that particular thing really kind of questioned, really I have to kind of rely on a man to get me by my life, and that didn't sound right to me. So I completed my PhD in 2016. I graduated, and I met my husband through a small group through the church I went to. And after a lot of persuading my dad, I got married in 2012. Um, My husband is a great man. He's a very good guy, very patient. He lives with me, of course. Um, And a lot of times in life, what I learned at that point is your own family thinking that they are helping you will harm you. Mm. When my parents told me or my sister told me, you just need to get your foot in the door into the U.S. You don't need to finish your education. Mm. Um, they meant all good. They w- right. they were like, oh, you're 29. Your biological clock is it's ticking. ticking. You need to take care of that. You need to take care of your green card. You need to take care of your future. Yeah, all the things, get, get right? You, get your green card. We need, we need you in there. And this was my dad's passion. Like, it's... His passion is so strong that that it actually leads you to um, disharming to some someone, mm-hmm. right? So, so my dad was like, "I want all my three children in the United States." Mm-hmm. Till today, I don't understand why. Right. But it was always, "I want my three children in the United States." My dad did his PhD in theology back in 1984. That was the year I was born. And he had to come back in his when he mentioned to his parents that he wanted to come back to the U.S., his father said they couldn't afford it. Mm. So my dad had to live his life back in India. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the trigger for him. Like, I didn't do it. I want all my kids to do it. Right. You know, but here's the thing, though. Do your kids want to do it? Mm -hmm. Big question mark. Right. So. Um, so coming back to my story, uh, when people try, even your own family tries to kind of thinking helping you are actually harming you. Uh, and at that point, I figured I don't want to live by a man's rules. And by now, you should know that I'm a rebel. My, my personality is a rebel. Not to rebel, rebel, just because you're telling me. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, if you are trying to put me in a social box, mm-hmm. I don't belong in that box. I don't want a box around me. And there, I got into so much trouble trying not to be in that box. That box is always there, not just for me. It's there for everyone. It's there for every individual, whether it's a girl, it's a boy, it's a man, it's, it's a woman. It, that There is a box. Yeah. And you're expected to be in that box. Otherwise, oh, you are, you don't fit. You, mm-hmm. but in that in in that struggle of my own, um, I went through life. I worked in several different places, got into a lot of trouble, and when I got married, um, my husband <laughs> never said anything about it, but he does say I 
talk stuff that I shouldn't. But those are facts, right? <laughs> those are facts. And I'm kind of person that I will not shut up. If there is a fact that I see it's not, it's not the way it should be, I will speak up. And given that's my personality, and then moving forward, I worked in all, I think, three different states in the United States. I had three, all of my three boys. And coming to the U.S., working in one of the multinational, uh, multinational uh, corporations in America, I always saw that as something binding you rather than helping you. Mm-hmm. Um and that's the typical corporate America for you. And if you are in the workforce, you got to live with it. I'm still working in one of those, so I won't go into more details on that. But that's a little bit of my story. Mm-hmm. So today where I am at, from where I was, is is that the dream that was put in front of me, I think over the years I have developed a deep passion to, to just follow God's word. And his protection over me for so many years is is me as saying thank you for that protection. And not to just repay because I don't think anyone practically can repay God but for what he does. But it, it's the passion that he puts in. And then you pick it up and say, okay, God, you picked me of all these people. You picked me. There must be a reason I'm not questioning it. I just want to do it. And when I do it, I want you to teach me how to do it. So moving forward, give me the strength, give me the visions, give me the power, and give me overall your guidance to follow what you want me to do. Because I think remotely, that's what uh, Moses did too. That's when he picked up about 50,000 people and said, okay, let's go into the, into the exodus, you know, into this big uh, journey where... God will lead you. I don't know where we are going, but God will lead us. And then we are walking through, and then everything just appears by itself. So I, I think that when, when I am walking in my journey, I don't need to know all the details. I just mm. need to set my first step out. And mm. then everything, all the bricks will fall in its place, and, um, and it will, it, the, the journey will continue only to a good ending, not mm-hmm. never a bad ending. Mm-hmm. And that's what the trust in God means, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I um, This is not the first time I've heard your story. Um, and I've heard bits and parts of your life story over the time that we've known each other. But one of the things that really stands out to me as a theme in your life, or as an outsider at least, is your yes. tenacity. Yes. Um, and your, um, I guess... Which I, and something I really appreciate about you because I have a part of me that's like that too is the complete disdain for the boxes. Yes. Um, as a woman, as a mother, as a member of our culture, um, as even as a Christ follower, I think to kind of push up against tradition or the cultural expectations and norms that, and I think as an outsider, cultural outsider. Um, a foreigner were able to see or have perspective on different parts of American culture that maybe Americans can't see because they're too close up. Um, And I think that that is, from the outside, looking in at your story, can see how your father's passion for education and faith 
your passion for education, faith, and for helping people be free from the status quo, whatever labels, society, and the, the rules that come with all the labels, right? Um, like how that is that sounds like the perfect ingredients for doing something like like Alpha Omega, where you are walking alongside people who have got really intense um, labels put on them by their society, um, labels that they may have even internalized, and rules and boxes and around what it is that they can or cannot be after their experience in incarceration. Um, what are you hoping that someone reading your story or reading I, I, your, the book that you're a part of, On Earth As It Is In Heaven, is not so much stories, it's more dreams yes. and visions that people, and that women in particular, have for the world that they live in. What are you hoping someone who reads your contribution to the book, someone who reads the dream that you guys have for Alpha Omega, the dream that you have for formerly incarcerated people and the uh, members of our community who have experienced that, like what are you hoping they take away from reading your chapter in the book? When you read my chapter, you will see a little bit of my story in my dream. And the end of my dream would be to build that dream in a physical form. And when people read it, I want them to understand that over time, any culture, any country, we've been taught that someone that does a mistake or put in a jail is a bad dude or is a bad girl. How different are you or I? How different are we? We also make mistakes on a daily life. How different are you and I compared to them? If God has forgiven you and I for our sins, why can't we forgive a person that has done a mistake? I'm not saying that they did not. They, do they deserve it? Oh, absolutely, they do deserve it. Because that's what their state law says. They deserve it. But is there forgiveness? Absolutely. Can you forgive them? You're called to forgive. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We are called to forgive. The more you forgive, the more you're forgiven. So when you forgive someone, they can turn around and forgive themselves or someone else mm. in their life. Forgiveness is the key here. This is the question. You asked me this question, but when I was praying and I had this dream, I asked God, God, you gave me this dream, okay, but these people deserve it. The one-line answer I got was, you sinned too. And I heard that in boom boxes. You sinned too. And, and I think it's a fact. I sin. I sin every day. Till I die, I will keep on sinning. That's the nature of human. We are built in. There is stream of sin flowing through our system. How do you cope that is through prayer. And so I ask people two things. What you, what you think of them and what was taught to you up until now, although that may be true, there may be a little addition to it. Yes, they have sinned. 
but yes, they are forgivable too. So please forgive them and change the thought process. Number one. Number two, pray. Prayer carries intense message between human and God. And when you pray with that intensity, with that truth in your heart, and it's the belief that, yes, um, God is hearing my prayer, and when you pray for another, when you pray for another person, those prayers do come true. So please pray. Pray for people that are in the jails, women, children, juvenile jails, men. They don't know better. There, there has to be someone that takes the word to them so they know what is the real deal. Some of the people that I speak to, they don't want to hear it at first. And some of the people you talk to are like, tell me more. I never heard of this. What is this forgiveness? What is prayer? Who is Jesus? And I'm sitting thinking, are you serious? You don't know who Jesus is? Are you serious? You're telling me you don't know what forgiveness is? Like that just blew my mind off. I could not believe that someone did not know what these words meant. What love meant, what forgiveness meant, what washing your sin meant, what bringing someone to Christ meant. What, what is all this? I can tell you this much, Lauren. There are people out there that do not know these things. And these people are locked up. And my goal is to, when they come out, is to show them, not to drag them, but to show them there is a way, there is a truth, and there is life. Mm. The way, the truth, and the life. And that leads to you to Jesus. Whether you accept it or not, after knowing everything, it's your choice. My job is to show you all three. And that's what I want to make my life mission, is to show you all those three. Mm. And that leads you to Jesus. I love that. I, I really love um, the very practical part of what you guys are doing. That it is Thank not, you. Um, you know, like a lot of the times, like, to be honest, like w- sometimes when people talk about like praying for other people, I go, oh, okay, but what about if you're in a position to act, you should act too. And one of the things I love about what you guys are doing is that there is so much action, there um, is. like a lot of action behind the scenes. And, um, you know, really like that. I feel like that the, the two halves of how we're, how I believe at least that we're called to live in a posture of prayer or ongoing posture of prayer, but also an ongoing posture of embodying our prayers Yes, in our action, um, I think is really special. And I really love the how you guys embody forgiveness, how you guys embody grace, how you guys embody second chances and opportunities um, and embody, you know, the dismantling of the boxes. And I think that seeing people or choosing to interact with people in a way that they maybe have not been interacted with it before, I think speaks uh, volumes and is an experience that I think that every person should have. Yes. Um, and I really love that. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you guys do. Absolutely. It's a um, one of the things that we are doing on the podcast is I'm hoping to collect what I call 
soul gardening or flourishing practice and skills and also a very proverbial flourishing toolkit. And so one of the things that I want to ask every single one of our guests and that I'm asking you today is that if you were to share a practice or a skill or something that you've learned over the years that you feel is indispensable to your soul flourishing, your soul gardening, or your self-care, what is that thing that you'd like to share with everyone listening today? What is one thing that you think you guys need to either try this or you need to adopt this practice or you need to investigate this? What is your what is your addition to our toolkit? I'm a hobbyist, which means I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> My husband thinks that's a very, very bad thing to have. Um, I do a lot of things. I do gardening. I do crochet. Um, I do stitching. I do uh, jewelry, beading. So I do a lot of things. Regardless what I am doing, I pray. Whether I'm crocheting for that particular person, I pray for that person. When I am so tensed in my mind after a very, very bad day, after my kids go to sleep, that's my time. Mm -hmm. And I do the things that I really want to do, whatever hobby that is. While I am doing it, I pray about it. I heard once a great saying that says, don't talk about it, pray about it. You can talk about your problems to 10 different people all day long, but the peace that comes with praying, I think is indispensable. You Mm. cannot replace with that with anything. And the reason I say it is, you are putting your problems in front of a person will never foresee them or not see them. He will scoop them up and in return, you will get peace, guaranteed. Mm. Um, so no matter what I do, yes, gardening is relaxing, absolutely. Watering the plants is relaxing. It does something to your mental psyche. Mm-hmm. It does something to your body. When you are crocheting, yes, it distracts you from the daily stresses because you're counting your stitches. Yes, that's all great. But what about your inward health? What about your soul? You're Mm -hmm. talking about soul. For soul to be satisfied, I think prayer is the only way to go Mm -hmm. because you are taking all your problems, putting it in a person's hand, that will never foresee them, but will give you peace in return. Will the problems go away? Probably not. That's not what I'm saying. But you will have peace about it. Because mm-hmm. there are some nights that I sleep and I see instances or hear people that I don't want to. But I do. That means that night I did not pray enough or I just did not pray, period. But if I pray, I know I can sleep. And that's what is happening is when you give all your problems away to someone spiritual, someone higher in realms, you have that peace deep within. Prayer is indispensable. Mm. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're irritated. Pray at all instances. That's Mm. my go-to. I love that. And I love, I mean, it sounds like your soul care practice comes towards the end of your day once the kids are asleep, of course. and. What it sounds like to me is an unburdening of your spirit. Yes. To like, I mean, we all collect all kinds of things throughout the day. We collect 
experiences, emotions, worries, concerns, anxieties, you name it, like the list could be endless. And I just love how you've made a habit of doing something productive or, or I guess creative, that's a creative expression. And also it allows you to let your guard down, it sounds like. I, I'm also a gardener. Um, I'm also, I like to paint. That's one of my things that I like yes. to do. And I know for me, when I engage in those practices, it's almost like my inside walls start to come down a little bit, right? Because you need you need some vulnerability in order to create. Yes, you do. Um, and that sounds like a really wonderful opportunity to engage in prayer um, and to speak to God, to speak to, you know, to, to unburden your spirit before a God that, cares deeply for you and I am one of a guest that we have hosted on the podcast her name is Judy um was sharing with us about how in our she believes that she was talking about how she believes it's got to do with our parenting philosophy that our jobs as parents is just to meet some basic needs and to make sure our children can cope with real life when they're older and she says that when we grow up in family relationships or parental relationships where parents are not involved in our joy our pain our emotional the emotional part of our lives but just have you eaten have you slept have you washed have you got good grades she's her her theory was like i wonder what that does to people talking to god about things other than what they're eating where they're living what work they're doing um and so i i love kind of just i just want to kind of connect those two ideas of you know engaging in something that's relaxing creative vulnerable but at the same time using that that emotional state to offload some things and to share every part of your life with God rather than just certain you know boxes or segments of things that we we think God cares about whereas he doesn't care about others which of course we know is not true mm-hmm. Ruth thank you so much for being here today thank Absolutely. you for joining me in the studio it's been a treat um thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of Alpha Omega with us in on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us today. Thank you for sharing your friendship with me. Oh, personally, (laughs) I appreciate you. (laughs) Um, And yeah, uh, thank you so much. We, um, I hope you, I just want to wish you all the best for your endeavors with the project um, with Alpha Omega. And thank you for what you're doing for Waco. Thank you. Uh, Thank you.